everyone. Welcome in. It's The Wrap on NRM Streamcast. Tom Mazaway, Clarence Black in the house at the Jim Reels Friendly Chrysler Jeep Studios in Farmington. Uh, here we go again. But today is a pretty big day, man, in, uh, in history. If you want to look back, you can look back at the Apollo 11. We took off of space today back in 1969. Bro, how cool is that? It is the coolest. It is the coolest. Did you see the uh, some of the clips and stuff? Oh, God, on yeah. CNN? I mean, I, I'm... I don't. I don't watch CNN, but I just yeah. go on my own. I go on YouTube and right. I just look around. And I, you know, I was I was always fascinated with, with space as a kid. I remember drawing the picture of uh, of uh, Armstrong on the moon, and uh, I got yeah. in a, got in a newspaper and you know in my local newspaper, the Hudson Dispatch. I was so proud. And uh, I had a chance, man. So cool. Off, off topic. I had a chance back in the fall to meet the um, the mission commander or the mission the the mission basically like public relations director for the first all female space flight yeah. and talk to her and she just she just talks about like just what an amazing place it's unbelievable that, can it's you like imagine the smartest people on the planet how about the computers they were using i mean our phone is probably yeah. more intelligent than those computers <laughs> back in the day it's also barry sanders 52nd birthday yes barry sanders is 52 today if that wants to make you think how old you are watching him the greatest running back that ever lived how many people do you think he could still leave in a 40 like right now, I don't think he can leave anymore. I think I he's think got he, a, he's got a couple pounds on him, but I, I love. But he's still the greatest. And Joe DiMaggio's hit streak today was actually his last hit. Two months and a day, two months and a day for that fifty-six game hitting streak. So today was his last hit. He went three for four against the Cleveland Indians. And there's so much more to talk about sports in general, COVID. And our good friend Lynn Henning on the phone with us from the Detroit News, who wrote a terrific story uh, back in the day here. And uh, Gary Moeller at Lloyd Carr back in 1995 and how that all started. And uh, Lynn, welcome in. We love having you on. Hi, man. Hi, Clarence. Yeah, that uh, 25 years uh, went like uh, they always do in a blur. Unreal. And uh, it, it just dawned on me. Uh, in the last few weeks that, gee, it was. It was a quarter century since all that drama occurred. And I just felt uh, as significant periods of any timeline often are examined at various time intervals, it was time to go back and uh, look at that with 25 years of perspective. Uh, As upsetting as it was uh, for Gary Moeller and for Michigan, it did uh, bring about... uh, Lloyd Carr in a, in a period of uh, definite empirical success there over the next 12 years. And yep. so it was time to re-examine events that probably a lot of people had forgotten some details about. I had no idea that uh, Mo was a, a non-drinker when I read this story. And, you know, he basically... That was the one thing that yeah. uh, really jumped out for everybody at, at that time was this was the last guy you were going to pick to get snackered at uh, a place and, and have it uh, really devolve to that point. Uh, it, it just was not in his habits. And I know there were times he had more than one beer, but yeah. for the most part, that was kind of what people regarded Moe's uh, drinking capacity to be. He'd have a beer, and that was about it. But this night, and I think it was probably triggered by domestic circumstances, yep. uh, and uh, that'll happen. Uh, it, it, it's just a shame that uh, this thing, which could have been handled uh, much better than it was, uh, beginning with 
him had he allowed people to really responsibly intervene here, uh, we would not have had that history turning on its ear. Len, it seems that we live in a world where your talent can make up for your shortcomings. I mean, he's a solid coach. He went on to, to still be very yeah. serviceable as a as a football man. How, why didn't he ever get back into the head seat? I mean, did that literally follow him? Or is there something about Gary Moeller maybe that, that we don't know that that may be exposed? No, he was a very, very good football coach, and everybody knew that. Uh, whether, frankly, as a head coach, which at Michigan he confirmed, again, not everybody was happy with the record. You're not going to be happy with a record unless it's maybe one loss in a championship game, and that uh, isn't always soothing to the fan base either. He had gone eight and four the last couple of years, and again, it was, I think, very akin to the unsettled reception that Jim Harbaugh's gotten the last few seasons, really pretty much since he arrived, uh, people expected better. And I know people expected better from Moeller uh, in 93 and 94, which ended up being his last two years. But he had won the Rose Bowl, won a couple of Big Ten championships. Uh, you're never going to do enough for a fan base, but uh, there wasn't anybody I don't think that uh, when it came to a vote would have wanted Gary Moeller tossed out. Uh, not unless uh, you knew who was coming in behind him. And uh, certainly had they known at that point that a staffer was going to take over, there there was no reason to want to depose Gary Moeller. But uh, at that point uh, that the tape came out, and remember, in the first couple of days, he wasn't going to get fired. He was certainly going to be suspended while they looked at all the facts, but he was not going to be fired. It wasn't until the tape of the police intervention and Moeller breaking down at the hospital. It wasn't until the audio hit the airwaves that this thing took on the kind of drama that Michigan uh, at the administrative level didn't believe it really could continue with in right. terms of him as head football coach. It was too much. Now, by that then. gets a little murky and entangled, too, but that's really uh, the bottom line. And Lloyd Carr obviously took over, but they told him, look, uh, as I read your story, you know, win one one of these next three games and barely beat Purdue in the in the slop and the fog, and you'll be the mm-hmm. we'll take the interim tag off you. But they also told him you're not going to be the next head coach here. That's how they started his career until Bo Schembechler heard about that. Well, and, and that never changed either, though, Maz. What what happened is they didn't, and the fan base was right along with them. The administration at that stage knew that Lloyd Carr was a coordinator and assistant. You you don't look at a guy as a head coach until he's been a head coach. And so that's always going to be the case. It's a natural human response. They wanted, at that point, they wanted a Cracker Jack to come in. They they wanted, in 1995, there was even talk about Jim Trestle coming from Columbus. I mean, this is how crazy that kind of stuff gets. But, uh, no, they, they weren't viewing Lloyd as, really being their ideal replacement, and they told him as much. Yeah. Well, that did create for him an insult, and uh, it certainly insulted uh, Bo Schembechler, who came in and, and told Lloyd, um, who no doubt had his own concerns about whether or not he was frankly up for that job. He knew what that job was all about, and anybody would ask him, am I really going to match up categorically for it? But Bo told him in no uncertain terms, look, 
you're a great coach. You're going to do a phenomenal job. And don't you have any doubts and don't hmm. listen to any of the criticism when you're going to lose the one or two games that you're going to lose. Uh, so by the time that uh, November rolled around, even though we'd lost at Michigan State in the last minute or so up at East Lansing on that cold night in November, uh, that was at that point Michigan's third loss of the year, or uh, pardon me, their second loss of the year. And, um, he had shown enough at that point where Joe Roberson and the officials said, look, he's our guy. We don't need to have any big, broad search here. We've got our head coach. The players like him immensely and respect him. His staff is very happy working with him. Uh, let's not uh, mess up here what is going to work very well for Michigan. Uh, but, of course, you had this casualty uh, that had uh, preceded this and Gary Moeller. But he was only out of coaching six weeks before yeah. the Bengals hired him as a tight end coach. Everybody understood how good he was and also that this was simply an anomaly, what had happened that night out at uh, Excalibur. So, anyway, that's how history is created. It's, it's uncomfortable history. It's <laughs> unpleasant history because of what happened to Gary Muller. Um, I was not... Um, at any point of enthusiasm for having to wade into matters that unsettling, but I thought the story needed to be done. It's it's not a com- story even my no. bosses or cohorts are comfortable with. It's gotten zero promotion on social media, and I understand that. I put it uh, out there for you. <laughs> story too. There really is, and and I do appreciate that. It was not a fun story to do, but I needed to speak with the principals, including Lloyd Carr, who I tracked down this week down in South Carolina, and we had a great conversation. I've known Lloyd for almost 40 years. Love Lloyd. And um, so that was important, too. And Keith Molin and and others, uh, Scott Leffler, I got a hold of him at Bowling Green, uh, and I talked with a couple other people who were not quoted in there, uh, but who provided necessary background, who were very close to the situation. Uh, so repertorially, it was a complex story, and yet again, I thought because of the 21st anniversary here, this is sort of a documentary that uh, needs to be uh, represented for consideration because it was too impactful in terms of Michigan sports history. It's Lynn Henning joining us from the Detroit News. Uh, great read. Please read it today. Uh, Lynn puts it out on his social media. You can also search it in the Detroit News uh, on Twitter. And, of course, uh, Gary Moeller goes on to coach the Lions, and I was there that yep. day in the press box, and Paul oh, Edinger boy. knocked them out of the playoffs, and Paul here comes Edinger Matt Millen and, and Marty Mortingweg. Yep. I mean, if, if Moeller stayed there, that? who knows what kind of story yeah. it would have been. Who knows? Hey, Lynn, is well, – that was another point of, of Michigan sports history regionally and statewide that was also influenced, obviously, by uh, Gary Moeller. He, yep. he wasn't going to be Lions interim head coach unless he wasn't at the University of Michigan. But uh, Bobby Ross knew how good he was, and uh, the team knew at the upper levels how good he was, or he wouldn't have gotten the interim job when Ross tossed it in after nine games. And he had done an excellent job. They were four and two. They there was no way they weren't going to go five and two against that five and fifteen 
Bears team, get the 10-0 lead. Christmas then, Eve. Yeah, I mean, you, you, you just, the pick six, and oh, it, was, it just, it, I suppose you're going to say, well, that's Lions football. Well, it, indeed it is. <laughs> it, it's just a shame because uh, Moeller, I'm sure as you guys are, um, would have retained that job. No question. Hey, Lynn, we wanted to chat about some other stuff with you as well. Uh, obviously, the pandemic that we're still going through and sports trying to break through the NBA with their bubble, MLB, now we have the inter-squad games, and supposedly they're going to play in two weeks, and college football basically on the brink here, uh, as you've said all along, and pro football still down the line. Hockey, I don't know either. They think they can get it done. That uh, we're not gonna, Are we going to – is any sport going to be playing in 2020 completely? No. And we, our, our thoughts on this mass haven't really changed right. since we first talked several months about this. Uh, and, and get this, this is supposed to be the low period for COVID-19. I know. Instead, it's, as we see, and, and tragically, it's just soaring. And this is even before it gets really acute. Uh, this fall and winter. And uh, there's not going to be any sports landscape that you can really pursue. Sure, you can have a a tour event uh, with no gallery. Uh, That offers enough space for players. But football, basketball, hockey, are you kidding me? And and we've always known this. It's the, The people opting out of the sport, I noticed Today, even on the umpires level, yep. it was eleven of them. Significant, yeah, the number of names. It's just not likely to be anything other than good intentions, build on optimism, but running headlong here into reality. And uh, the reality is a pandemic that uh, isn't really concerned about what we want. It's uh, imposing itself on us and on our life and on our culture and on our sports terrain. And, uh, boy, is that tough. Lynn, I've, I've read and heard the argument made that, okay, see, this is why you pay them. If you pay these kids now, you take the whole student-athlete thing away and their employees. Do you think that an absence of college football in the fall, is that would be the spark that eventually leads to some type of compensation specifically to start as a test case for – football, and then also uh, basketball. I do, but I don't think that is so much spurred, Clarence, by the pandemic. I think they're two separate issues. Uh, I do see the compensation coming in appropriately. Uh, I suppose it would give the players a little more latitude in that context to, let's say, opt out. But knowing kids as we know them, they're going to want to play. And so if you have any kind of an environment or culture where they can compete, they're going to do it, uh, which places more the responsibility on administrators to say really what they should be saying. And in the case of the Big Ten, not just about non-conference teams, but there is no way they're going to play Big Ten football this fall, not in conscience, in any kind of good conscience. It's not going to happen. I understand they're going to wait until the last possible moment to make the inevitable decision, but uh, it's really uh, hopeless and I think uh, rather naive at a point where we've got to be very serious about this COVID-19 epidemic. 
And uh, we've been trying to Americanize our way through this thing by ignoring it. Uh, our only chance to beat this thing is to confront it wholly, and we've resi- we've re- we have resisted doing that since uh, February and March when it first arrived. If there is no college football, is I mean, if we if if Saturday afternoon in mid September there is nothing going on, and and the big house is empty, just the and Spartan list. Stadium is empty. I mean, is that would that be? Like anything that you have seen in your illustrious career in the college football and/or sports landscape here in Michigan, oh no, no, Clarence, in, in nowhere in the country, and, and let's let's be real here too. We all know who finances intercollegiate sports is football, and what's going to happen here? You're going to have the equivalent at the end of this thing, at the end of the thing, and, and let's hope for the vaccine as soon as to the start of the year as possible. We're going to have a landscape that's going to look a lot like Europe after World War II. It's going to be bombed out. And the only thing I can say is Europe rebuilt and became vigorous and became whole again. And America and the world will do the same thing after this thing, this scourge, has finally vanished. But between now and then, we are looking at cruelty and devastation and annihilation Uh on a level we didn't ever consider fathomable. And uh, yet it's here. And uh, we're going to have to be, again, very real and very realistic. But I do believe on the back end we're going to be a better people. There's going to be more resolution to do what's good and not just do what's selfish. And uh, I think some definite changes and necessary changes not only to our nation, but to, to the world at large, are going to follow this. And we're going to build a better, a more holistic globe and people because of this thing. I don't want to sound like one of those uh, conspiracy theory people, but I'll throw it out there anyway. How the hell did this happen? I mean, you read all kinds of different things. Obviously, we all do. And there's a, there's a, a China, you know, bring something in here to the United States, blah, blah, blah. Uh, what do you, how, how did this happen? How did we fall asleep on this? Responsible nations didn't. They had to deal with the reality that we, yeah, we have a global interlace here among our people. And responsible nations cut this thing down, uh, in many cases, very, very quickly. I don't care if it was New Zealand or South Korea or Canada has done as, as good a job as you can. What's the difference between Canada and the U.S. other than a border? We're all in the same sphere here. And yet uh, they had a national discipline that we lacked. We wanted to ignore it, pretend as though it wasn't going to be uh, of of any real duration. It wasn't going to influence our needs and wants and desires, our economy, quote-unquote. And we found out the hard way and are continuing to find out and will continue to learn much to our destruction that uh, this thing couldn't be wished away by ideology. And that's the problem, as um, other countries equally irresponsible, Brazil, Iran, uh, have it uh, on the level that we have. And uh, that is no credit to the United States, which is supposed to be a leader. But Western Europe got this thing under control. So many other countries in Asia, look at Japan, they haven't had problems with because they have a national discipline that we lack. And we're paying the price, and it's going to prolong the recovery. 
and uh, it's going to make us uh, filled with shame, not only with sorrow for the lives lost and for the cases here that were unnecessarily courted. What do you say to the people that say uh, it's just a virus, it's any virus, it's the flu, it's this, it's that? What do you say to those people? Some of these people, the most educated people I know, and this is what they tell us. You know, we shouldn't be wearing masks. Check your facts. It's no good for you. The mask is it's yeah. no good. You can't breathe your own oxygen in. I have some of the most brilliant people I know telling me that. When, of course, I don't listen to them. But I, what, what do they know that I don't know? What they think is is that uh, what they want to be the truth uh, is going to override expertise. And instead of listening to doctors and epidemiologists and science, which, last I checked, are really the best equipped voices to have any particular say about the effectiveness of masks or social distancing, et cetera. They want to have their own answers that make them feel good. That's because our society has been telling them for some time now, particularly on the political side, you can have your facts any way that makes you feel good, which is how Fox News exists. And uh, that's, unfortunately, the sadness about this thing. Instead of deferring to scientific expertise, the Fauci's of the world, who, God bless him, he's been the, the one voice of reason and light in this whole murk that's come out of Washington during this thing. Uh, instead of listening to the Fauci's, they want to listen to some friend or to, to Tucker Carlson or to somebody like that. And the damage and destruction that has done to our society on all fronts, uh, beginning with this one at the moment, uh, is absolutely beyond belief. Yeah. And uh, yet we see that persistence. We only have a couple of minutes here, uh, Mr. Henning here. How about uh, unemployment and where do you see that going? Will they extend it? Are we going to get another check in the mail? Will the $600 remain? What do you, What is your best educated guest on all of this? They're going to have to, Maz, because uh, otherwise they go from this grave, grave, grave recession to a full-scale depression that really exceeds anything we knew in the 1930s. Wow. And that's simple economic fact and reality. That can be forecasted today. Now, the only way around that is to deficit spend in trillions and trillions and trillions more dollars and yet that beats uh, destroying lives and, and, and in fact, uh, endangering democracy further because uh, this thing can uh, bring about uh, chaos that uh, even exceeds the kind of unrest that we've seen to date. So they are going to have to simply go into the deficit here that can be repaired. Deficits can be repaired. It, I talked to the economists. Econom economists about this, Maz and Clarence, and our, our great threat here isn't deficits. Our great threat is that we allow lives and families and businesses to collapse uh, even uh, after we've lost so much life and we've had so many people uh, permanently affected by this disease, this, this coronavirus, which uh, is, as we know, far, far, far more intense than flu kills three times as many people, can do permanent damage to lungs. Uh, we got to face this thing head on. It's our only hope. 
Hey, thanks for coming on with us, Mr. H. Thank uh, you. I want people to read that Gary Moeller Lloyd Carr story you have out today. 25 years ago, not today, but 25 years ago, almost the anniversary. It's at the end of April is when it actually happened, and it kind of changed the, yeah. the face of Michigan and changed the face of even the Detroit Lions. We could say that. But thanks so much. We love having you on. We wish we had more time. Always, man. As always, Clarence. Enjoyed it. See you All guys. right. Lynn Henning, Detroit News veteran and uh, – us love reading him yeah. superstar to me it's, but uh, uh you know he puts I it won't lie man i mean that it, it was you know i mean he's telling it like it is but it you know it's we do this show and it's almost like i think we take turns where one is up and one is down yeah and it just hit me like mid-september i think i need to be prepping myself that it's gonna be quiet yeah and i'm not ready me neither. Brother, I am not ready. You know what? I've been I've been hanging in there. Me too. I've been hanging in there. But you know what? Sometimes it just wears you down a little bit. That's why sports is always there for us. And hey, I hope the NBA could pull this thing off. If they yeah. do, I don't know. But we'll I mean, see. how about the Eagles? I mean, we're gonna talk to Jay Scott, man. Yeah. Our, our local boy in Philly doing his thing. The Eagles saying no fans. Like they're just coming out and just saying, yeah. like, no fans. And our good friend Rico Beard's got a new gig. We'll tell you about that coming up as well. Thanks to David and Angel behind the scenes. Uh Ellington, the Duke is here today as well. Stevie Mack helping us from home for Clarence Black. It's Tom Mazaway. Thanks for listening to the rap on the NRM Streamcast. <laughs>